Amen. We gather this evening, this Easter evening, to worship the Lord together, to celebrate a risen Savior. I invite you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 2. We're going to begin reading at verse number 18. And while you prepare your scripture, I do want to make mention that this Wednesday night at 6 p.m., we're going to do an outdoor service, Lord willing. It looks like the weather will cooperate. And I do realize that some will not be able to attend. But if we do it at 7, it will not give us enough daylight. So this Wednesday, 6 p.m., on the south side, on the Jonesville side of, of our parking lot, you can either drive up, we'll have it petitioned off for you to park and watch, or you can sit out in a, in a chair if you practice social distancing. So we look forward to seeing as many as we can this Wednesday night. Scripture says in John chapter 2, verse 18, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what signs showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus has said. Jesus said in verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I want to preach tonight by the help of the Lord on this subject for this Easter Sunday, destroyed but not defeated. Destroyed but not defeated. John chapter 2 is a unique chapter in the word of the Lord. Its uniqueness comes from the fact that it contains a beginning and an ending in the life of Christ. It opens with a very common story in the setting of the marriage of Cana. More specifically, it highlights the absence of wine. At that wedding, Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the Lord and pled the cause, saying there's no more wine. She put Jesus on the spot. Jesus replies, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. She, speaking to the servants, prompted Jesus to begin his ministry before he was ready by commanding them to do whatever Jesus told them to do. Thus, the water was not only turned into wine, but according to the governor of the feast, it was unprecedented because people waited until many were drunk before they put out the, the, the old wine. But this time, the best wine was saved for the end. This is what verse 11 says, the beginning, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So here is the beginning in John chapter 2, the beginning of his ministry. But then just a few verses down, 
we see Jesus speaking prophetically about the ending of his ministry. We find him going to Jerusalem for the time at Passover was at hand. And he walked into the temple and found those that sold animals, those that were the money changers. They, they changed the, the intent of the temple into a, a, a den of thieves, Scripture says. And he made him a, a whip, and he began to drive out the money changers in this particular gospel. It says that he said, Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. But it's also recorded in the other gospels where he said that my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, verse 18, What signs showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? In other words, who told you you could do this? By what authority are you operating in this manner? And Jesus answered and said unto them, verse 19, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. It was such an odd statement in so much that the religious world did not understand the context uh, of that particular statement. This is evident by their reply. Notice what they said in verse 20. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. In other words, it took 46 years to build this temple. How do you think that you can build it again in three days? This exchange between Christ and humanity is pivotal, although they didn't understand it at that time. It bears the same weight as the conversation between Christ and the woman at the well. She was fixated on worshiping in a place, but Jesus was trying to introduce her to the concept of what would become the church. In John chapter 4, verse 20, this is what she said, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. She was fixated on a place, just like the religious world was fixated on a building, on a temple. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus would drop clues along the way to show them what was to come. Instead of confining your religious practice to a location, the church was going to spread the Spirit of God around the world and was going to reach many people. It was in the same manner that Jesus was speaking of raising up the temple, which was his body. They didn't understand it at that time, but over three years later, the stage was set for the prophetic word to be fulfilled. Now we can march to Golgotha. 
Now we can look towards Calvary and we can see that his body was beaten and bruised. The creature did everything possible to destroy the creator. Destroy this temple, Jesus said. And in three days, I will raise it up. They didn't know what that meant, but it only took three days for them to find out because Scripture tells us that those women went to that tomb. And when they went, they didn't see a stone in the way. They saw an empty tomb. They saw the angel of the Lord, and they saw a resurrected Savior. And when they saw that Savior, he said, I want you to go tell the disciples what you've seen. John 2.22 says this, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. In other words, when they, when they heard that he was risen, the memory came back from three years before when Jesus had cleaned out the temple. And they said, you know what? I remember when he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise this temple up. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. My friend, when the temple was resurrected, when the body of Christ was resurrected, they became believers. Watch this. Jesus gave them permission to destroy him, but they could not defeat him. And I preach to you on this Easter Sunday, you may be destroyed, but you don't have to be defeated. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It doesn't matter where you find yourself today the world may have destroyed you your marriage may be destroyed your finances may be destroyed but you don't have to be defeated hallelujah clap your hands wherever you're at I, I just wish somebody would say hallelujah unto the Lord scripture tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost just like Jesus was referring to his temple. His plan was to move from religion to relationship by offering his blood for humanity. And when he did that, he would fill us with his spirit. And we in turn would spread the work of the Lord around the world. My friend, I want to tell you what's spreading faster than a virus. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's reaching to the uttermost. There's people you don't even know about that are repenting of their sins. They're being baptized in Jesus' name. And they're receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remember I said that once the temple was resurrected, they became believers. Here's the parallel for you and I today. When we repent, that represents death. That's Calvary. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, that represents burial. That's the tomb. But the temple is still destroyed. It has to be raised up. Just like what Jesus said, you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, you experience the resurrection of the temple. That temple, this body, the, the, not the flesh, but the body, the inner man. 
you, you, you walk in newness of life. And when it happens, the unbeliever, which was the disciples, they become believers when they see the resurrection of the temple. Give me scripture, preacher, I will. I'll turn you to 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips while I speak unto this people. And yet for all that, that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Just like the disciples did not believe until they experienced and saw the resurrection of Christ's temple when they saw him come back from, from the dead. So it is when you come to an altar, you repent, you're buried in a watery grave, and you receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. You're not proving anything to people that's already received it. But it's those that are unbelievers that look at you and say, you know what, I can see what God did in your life. I see the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. My friend, the greatest miracle you'll ever experience is the miracle of the resurrection. Like Jesus, the world will, will try to destroy you. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Listen to this preacher. Don't let your condition dictate your position. Destroyed indicates condition. Defeated indicates position. Jesus was living proof that your condition doesn't have to determine your position. Just like Jesus, I'm speaking to people today who feel like you've been destroyed. You feel like you've made too many wrong choices. You feel like you're a victim of circumstances and that things will never get better. Listen to me, friend. The world will try to destroy you, but you cannot let them defeat you. When you experience the power of the resurrection, it's a sign to the unbeliever that God is still able to do the miraculous because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You, when you get the Holy Ghost, you get the same power Christ had to get back up when you get knocked down. You've got to understand you're more valuable after your scars than you were before your scars. I don't want to mess with your theology, but I'm, I'm fixing to mess with it. Jesus Christ was useless to you and I as long as he remained whole. He was beneficial to the people he was around, but he was useless for future generations. He could heal the sick, open blinded eyes. He could astound people with his doctrine. But it wouldn't have done anything for you and me as long as he remained whole. John 16 and 7 says, This is the words of the Lord. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Who is the Comforter? 
John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, the name of the Father's, Jesus said, I've manifested my Father's name. So the name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. And the name of the Son is Jesus. Because there's not three in one, there's three are one. We think that our scars eliminate our value. When in fact, our scars increase our value. But Jesus didn't become valuable to our generation until his nails were pierced on a cross. He didn't become valuable for the sins of humanity until they put those feet on that cross with those nails. His value went up after the scars. And the same thing goes for you. Your scars do not depreciate you. They appreciate you. Your scars cause you to rise in value. I read a story about a billionaire art collector. In 2001, he acquired a famous painting by Picasso. The name of the painting was Le Rive, or it's French for the dream. It's believed that he paid $60 million for this painting. It was an original. Five years later, he decided to sell that painting to a friend for a price of $139 million. So they hired a professional authenticator, and they authenticated this painting and made sure everything was legit. And the deal was set. They had a party, told a lot of people about the painting. The next day they went to an office, his office where the painting was kept. And he suffered from, he couldn't see out of his peripheral vision due to, to, to a condition, an eye condition. And he was showing the painting off when he threw his hand back. A two inch tear went through that painting. The deal was off. The insurer dropped the value to 85 million. And he was seemingly heartbroken. But he found a world-renowned art restorer who, fell, who felt that he could fix the painting. And after the painting was fixed, the owner decided that he was going to keep the painting. Six years later, he sold it to the same man that he was going to sell it to the first time. But instead of $139 million, he sold it for $155 million. The painting was worth more after the scar than it was before the scar. And my friend, you may be looking at your life right now, and you may all you may see is just shambles, and, and pieces of your dreams are dashed, and everything around you seems destroyed. But I've, I'm here tonight to declare unto you, your scars do not disqualify you for His grace. They qualify you for His grace and His mercy. I, I, I submit to you tonight the prodigal son who left the lap of luxury and finally he, he squandered everything and his life was seemingly destroyed. And he found himself with the, with the pigs. But the Bible says he came to himself. That's the point that every person has to get to. Where you realize the condition that you're in. 
And you admit that I cannot fix it by myself. I cannot do it on my own. And that's what leads you to repentance. And we talk about the prodigal son running to the father. But I want to submit to you that the father was also running to the son. Because when you make up your mind that I'm going to run to Jesus, he doesn't just stand there and wait for you to get to him. But he begins to run to you with his arms wide open. You may feel destroyed tonight, but you don't have to be defeated. What about Peter? Who assured the Lord that he would never deny him. Yet when that rooster crowed, he began to weep. Somewhere along the way, I have to think that Peter recalled the words of Jesus when he said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Difference between Peter and Judas is not in what they did. It's how they reacted to what they did. One ran from God. And the other ran to God. And you're at a place in your life right now. You may feel like you're sitting in the hog pen. You may feel like you've messed up one too many times. And you've got you to make a decision. Either you're going to run to God. Or you're going to run from God. Either you're going to run to a cross or you're going to run from a cross. But you and only you can make up that mind. Musicians, if you come. One man once said we have equated an end with the idea of termination. When in fact an end is the beginning of germination. Job tells us in chapter 14, For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud, and it will bring forth boughs like a Surely nature could paint a canvas with trees that have fallen. They look destroyed. They look hopeless. They look like they would never be anything, but it's embedded in the DNA of a plant. Doesn't matter how old the roots are. Doesn't matter how horrible it looks. It may look destroyed. But at the sin of water... It's reminded that it's not defeated. And it begins to spring forth again. I preach tonight to everyone watching. You may feel destroyed, but you're not defeated. That's what Easter's all about. Easter's not something that we just celebrate that happened 2,000 years ago. Every time someone repents and they're baptized in Jesus' name and they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues, that's Easter all over. That's Easter in that person's life. The tree that brought the greatest hope. It looked like it was destroyed the most 
was a tree called Calvary. And while the onlookers mocked and the onlookers taunted, what they didn't know was that the scent of water was being released into the spiritual realm. Because the Bible says, out of his bellies, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, for the Father hath not yet been glorified. When he said, it is finished, and he released the ghost, he was releasing into the spiritual atmosphere the scent of water that would reverberate through all of humanity. And the goosebumps you're feeling right now, and the Spirit of God and the tears that are falling from your cheek right now, that's the scent of water that is just, it's touching what is destroyed in your life. And I declare the word of the Lord unto you this day that you will be greater after your scars than you were before your scars. Because of Good Friday, you can look back and not be afraid. Because of Easter, you can look ahead and not be afraid. Because of the resurrection, you can look up and not be afraid. Because of Pentecost, you can look inward and not be afraid. Because that same spirit that went up wants to come in. That same Holy Ghost that we were celebrating today, that same resurrecting power, that same thing that lifted that temple up is the same thing that wants to lift your temple up. As they begin to sing, I invite you to lift your hands to heaven in your living room, in your bedroom. It doesn't matter where you are. I just want you to lift your hands as I begin to pray and our musicians and singers begin to sing. I'm just going to believe the Holy Ghost is going to begin to fall right now. Father, they've repented of their sins. God, right now, I pray the power of your spirit, the reason we're here, the scent of water, let it be released into their living room. Let it be released in their bedroom. Let it be released into their vehicle. Wherever they're watching right now, let the Holy Ghost begin to move. I declare the name of Jesus. Let it be released right now in Jesus' name.